I am really, really, really humbled and privileged uh, to bring God's word to you tonight. I want, want you to know off the back, I do not take it lightly. You know, when, when I open God's word and throughout the week when I'm studying God's word, I, I really, really hold it in high esteem. And, and I think that this opportunity uh, shouldn't be taken lightly either. Amen. So um, before we get started, uh, why don't we pray? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Uh, for you tonight, first and foremost, God. We thank you for your revelation that you've left us here in, in your word, that we have access to your word, God, that as, as sons and daughters of God, Lord, we can go into your word and, and mind the truths of the Bible, that by your spirit, God, you reveal these truths to us, God. I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, God, that you would use uh, all the hours of preparation and and everything that has led up to this point, God, that you would use it to speak something to your church, God. Because we are your church, God. This is your people, God. So I pray you would speak through me. You would flow through me uh, tonight. That I would get out of my own way, God, and let you speak, God. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, so hopefully you brought your Bibles tonight to church. Who brought their Bibles tonight? All right. Amen. Amen. All right. And we are going to be in, of course, um, the book of Hebrews and specifically in chapter 11. And then also our other main text tonight is going to be Genesis 22. So, you know, what we've been used to over these past couple of weeks of flipping back and forth to a couple of main uh, texts in the Bible, we're going to do the same thing tonight. And in our central character tonight is Abraham. And I thought it was so funny that, that I was uh, tasked to preach on Abraham. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Matt actually spoke uh, about Abraham uh, and Sarah, and that was uh, two weeks ago, I believe. And then last week, we, we kind of covered uh, a couple of different topics about how we're just passengers in this world, right? We're passing through this world that we're not um, citizens of of this world specifically, we're citizens of what? Of heaven, right? Amen. And, and, and that, was, that was Matt's uh, message last week. But this week brings us to verse 17 of Hebrews. And it starts off with, by faith, Abraham. Abraham was from a pagan city. I don't know if you, you know that. Because in Bible school, we always hear, Father Abraham had many sons, right? This man of faith, this, this godly man is the first thing we normally think about when we think about Abraham. But he was from this pagan city. This city was really a metropolitan city, a big city. Uh, it had a population of 300,000 people at once. And back in, in the olden days, the way my daughter says, my daughter Mia, um, back in the olden days, that was a lot of people. That was a whole bunch of people. And they had complex irrigation systems. They had a lot of luxury. They even had indoor plumbing. Can you believe that? Ancient indoor plumbing. Thank God for indoor plumbing, right? But also in the city of, of Ur, they, they did human sacrifice. They had, they had a dark side in this city. They didn't know the God of the Bible. They didn't know the God of the Old Testament. And this is where our guy Abraham, our, our central figure in tonight, sir, this is where he's from. He's from this city. It was thought that there was this, this God, this moon God, this, this false God, this pagan God that they actually worshipped. This was a God 
of the city and of the people that Abraham was from. He didn't grow up in Sunday school, right? He didn't grow up uh, and come through a lineage of Christian family members. He didn't have a, a mom and a dad who, who, who believed in God and who modeled for him the way to live as a young man growing up. He didn't have any of that. He only knew the lusts and the sins and the, and the pleasures of, of paganism. This is where Abraham was from. He had nothing to hold on to, no stories to fall back on. He didn't hear about Noah and the ark. He didn't hear about Adam and Eve or about Enoch walking with God. No, he had no godly precedent in his life. Fast-tracking, because I mean, we could spend weeks in the, in the, uh, just talking about Abraham from Genesis. God called Abraham out of this darkness, amen? And because of God's intervention, how many of you know it wasn't Abraham, anything in Abraham that caused this, right? It was purely God, his sovereign grace. He called Abraham, and Abraham left all of this behind to follow God. The only true and living God. And in Genesis 12, he told them to go. And Abraham followed God at his word. Amen? He followed God at his word. And these, these, these promises, he, God promises him, these promises of God begin to lead Abraham for the rest of his life. Outside of God's word, Abraham has no basis to trust in God. It says in Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, at this time his name was Abram before God changes his name. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4 of Genesis 12 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went from him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This was the voice of God speaking to Abraham. He took God at his word and he obeyed God and he followed God. A person who follows God, a believer who follows God, they know what God says. They believe what God says, and they obey what God says. That last part is a little bit tougher sometimes. I lead a youth group, and honestly, we have an awesome group of, of youth. I mean, they love the word. I've been a part of uh, uh, other youth groups in the past, and I'm going to tell you right now, the youth group here at Destiny Church, the kids here at Destiny Church, they love God's word. They love God's word. Do you obey what the word of God says? This was Abraham. Remember Hebrews chapter 1 gives us this definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is exactly where Abraham finds himself. He hadn't seen God, right? He hadn't seen the promises of God. He can only hope for what is unseen, and similarly, our lives are filled with uncertainty like Abraham when he began his journey, right? We don't have it all right in front of us. We don't know what the future holds, what's in store for us. And we see that what moved Abraham forward, he was looking toward heaven, 
looking for an inheritance, it says in verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews, waiting for this promise to be fulfilled in, in verses 9, 11, 13, and 17. He was waiting for that heavenly city, it says here in Hebrews, in verse 10 and 14 and 16. This idea of a future reward fills this passage over and over again. And then we come to verse 17 here in Hebrews, and it says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Verse 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This little subsection in, in verses 17 and 19 of Hebrews 11, that takes us to the story in Genesis 22. So if you will, flip with me to Genesis 22. And I know Destiny Church knows that's the first book of the Bible. So we'll be in Genesis 22. And in this chapter, we actually see God and Abraham, a conversation here in Scripture, and a really important one. And actually, one of the most bizarre stories in the entire Bible when you look at it at face value. We see that God here asks his servant, Abraham, to do the unthinkable. Abraham's being commanded by God in Genesis 22 to do something that God finds himself repulsive. Now, spoiler alert, if you know the story, we know how it ends, okay? We know God's purpose and intention wasn't for Isaac to actually be a human sacrifice, amen? We know that. And we even see that later on in, uh, after Genesis, later in the Old Testament, that God hates human sacrifice. So we pick up here in Genesis 22, and, and at this time, Abraham and his wife Sarah are really old in age, right? They're really, really, really advanced in years. They had already received the promise of God to give birth to his son Isaac, and he was already here. He's finally here, the son of the promise. Their life was filled with joy and peace, and their faith proved to be a genuine one. God had kept his promises to Abraham. We have a God that keeps his promises, amen? He is faithful. He is faithful always. God was faithful to his word. And then we see at the, as we get closer to the end of Abraham's narrative that started in Genesis 12, it brings us to chapter 22 and, and really toward the end of Abraham's life. It says that God tested Abraham. So looking at it at face value, it's like, well, you know, at the end of chapter 21, it looks like we're kind of Casting off into the sunset, right? That our guy Abraham, it was just going toward this happy ending. And then verse 22, it says, but then God tested Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. He wasn't through with Abraham yet. He still had plans for Abraham. Now, our author here in Genesis, Moses, tells us right up front, he wants us to know right off the bat that this is a test. Right? Because of what's gonna, what, what God's going to ask him to do. He tells us right off the bat that God is testing Abraham. That he's testing his faith. And then as a Christian, who has faith in Jesus Christ, how many, of, how many Christians do we have 
here tonight. All right. Amen. That as a Christian, God will test our faith. Genuine faith in God, it will always be tested. And in this life, in this walk, how the Apostle Paul so frequently puts it, I love it. In this walk, we will be tested by God. And sometimes in these tests, sometimes we feel a little underprepared. We can feel a little underprepared. Who's ever been there? In a test, you just feel underprepared, right? We can feel underprepared. A test that maybe we're not ready for. Like, how am I going to get through this, God? How am I going to do this? These tests that sometimes God sends our way. But if you have faith in Christ tonight, just know you will be tested. You will be tested. Now, don't get down about that. Don't get down about it. I'm going to kind of explain a little bit why. And I know a lot of our students, <laughs> a lot of our prayer requests on Wednesdays are about actual tests in school, okay? Some of them are like, God, like this sinful math test, let it be gone, right? Get rid of these tests. No, but God tests our faith as sons and daughters of God because this is his process of maturing us, of growing us, amen? How many of you want a faith that's growing and maturing? Come on, yeah, I do too. A faith that's growing, a faith that's maturing, a faith that produces good fruit in your lives. We go through this testing, and through this testing, our faith grows and it matures. This is God's process. It's from the Lord. We see here that both at the beginning of Genesis 22 and um, Hebrews eleven seventeen that it starts with this test. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, Moses makes it very clear that this wasn't a mistake, that this was from God. This test was from God. It was from the Lord. It was God who initiated this test. It was God who initiated this thing. It was God who put this thing together, who orchestrated this. And ultimately, we see that it was God who, who saw this thing all the way through. Amen? And genuine faith will always be tested. It's God's desire that we don't have a weak faith, that we don't have a surface level faith. No, that we have a strong faith, that we have a deep faith, a deep faith, a faith that trusts God no matter what comes our way in life, regardless of the circumstances and the situation that life brings us, that we would trust in God, that we would hold on to his promises no matter what we're faced with. I want a faith like that. I want a faith like that that we don't crumble under the pressure of the storms of life, the trials of life. I want a faith like that. But a lot of times we have a limited perspective of this. We don't actually want to go through the testing at all. Who loves processing here? Raise your hand. I know my five-year-old daughter's hand didn't go up. She does not like process at all. She wants something now, right now, instantaneous. I think she gets that from her dad. We hate process, and a lot of times it's, it's uncomfortable, and it's, it's not the most comfort, comforting thing in life. But I want a faith that trusts God through it all. And the only way for me to find out about this faith is if God tests this faith. God knows what kind of faith you and I have. He knows us from beginning to end, amen? He knows it all. He knows us inside and out. 
When God tests our faith, it, it's not to give him some kind of uh, information that was hidden from him, something he didn't know already. No, he already knows what's in our hearts. But a lot of times it reveals to you and me where we stand. Areas in our life where we need to grow, where we need to mature. Amen? And sometimes tests in life, when, when God is going through this process, when we're in this process in life, these seasons of trials and testing, sometimes we don't pass them all, right? But thank God that he has grace and mercy on us. But he shows us where we need to grow, areas that we need to work on, areas of opportunity, as we said at my old job, our areas of opportunity in our lives that we need to grow and work on in our faith. James chapter 1, uh, verse 2 says it like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. Joy and trials don't seem to go together. They shouldn't go together. Verse 3 says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing that as God tests our faith, God is not condemning us. God is not persecuting us. No, scripture says here that God is perfecting us. Amen? It says that we would be perfect, that we would be complete, lacking nothing. This process that we go through, this testing of our faith, it's from God. It's from God. And we see in this life of Abraham the type of faith that he had. This type of faith that could uh, even withstand the most radical of tests, if you will. This faith that can withstand the most traumatic of circumstances. This faith that can pass the most seemingly impossible tests in life. This, this, this genuine faith that will be tested by God is also a faith that can endure during the trials and seasons of testing. It can endure. And back to our text here in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Another, another thing we see here in this text is this test that God brought about. It came about unexpectedly in Abraham's life, right? Abraham, he didn't have like his calendar out on his iPhone, right? And it's like, sacrifice son, Tuesday night. You know, it, it wasn't like that, right? No, <laughs> no, no. Students, pop quiz. We love those, don't we? Out of nowhere. No, no. But when God tests us, sometimes it, it seems like it comes at the most inopportune times in our lives. You know, Abraham had his son of this promise already. He was growing up, and he, I'm sure he was enjoying him. And then God asks him of this. Before this test, leading up to this test that God tested Abraham with, there's like no uh, obvious heads up that God gives him that this is coming right around the corner. It's, you know, God had visit, visited Abraham multiple times, telling him that the son of promise was coming, right? He visited multiple times about that, him and Sarah. He didn't do that for this, right? He didn't come multiple times to Abraham and be like, hey, 
you're going to sacrifice your son. Okay, one week away, right? This time next year, you're going to sacrifice your son. He didn't say that. No. He didn't come and talk to him about that. There was no warning signs. It seemingly came unexpected in his life, this trial and this testing. And life a lot of times seems to work that way, doesn't it? A lot of times you can't plan for your trials, can you? No. Situations pop up seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly unexpected. What's our response going to be? Are we going to look to the Lord and walk in obedience as our central character tonight, Abraham did as he did? Or are we going to shrink back in unbelief? Are we going to look at the magnitude of that problem and, and try to figure out how this thing is going to work out? Are we going to focus on that problem? Or are we going to fix our eyes on heaven? Are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus? We need to fix our eyes on Christ. There's this psalm in 107, and halfway through the psalm, it talks about uh, people literally going about their business, literally day-to-day -day business, and they're out on the sea, the context of this, of this uh, particular picture. They're out on the sea going about their business. And it said that God raises up a storm against the people. It doesn't say that these people were rebelling or sinning against God either. They were just going about their, their business. And it says in verse 26 that their courage melted, that they were at their end in verse 27. But they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and God delivered them from their distress. He quieted the storms and the waves, and he brought them to their desired place. That's how life can be, right? You know, you're going about your life, and the storm just comes out of nowhere. A trial just comes out of nowhere in life. You can't plan for it. There's no warning signs. And in this test, there was no warning signs to Abraham that God would ask him this unimaginable thing. In Genesis 12, the beginning of Abraham's narrative, God uh, speaks to him and he starts with, uh, with go. He says go. That, that same exact vocabulary is used here in Genesis 22 when he tells Abraham to go and do what he's asking him to do. You know, it's one thing to go and leave everything behind, leave everything familiar. You know, Pastor Matt talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He left everything he knew, right? All of his friends, all of his social circles, everything to go live in a tent, right? To go live in a tent as a nomad, as a Bedouin is what they call him. But it's a different thing, a totally different thing to say go and go sacrifice your son. The son of promise. This is the promise that God made to, to Abraham. You know, back in Genesis 12, it, it, Abraham was called out of darkness. He, he was cut off from his past. He left his past, everything he knew. And now it brings us to Genesis 22. And now is his future going to be cut off too? His son is going to be offered up as a human sacrifice? If you look back at verse 2, you see this. You see how it says here, it says, there's a translation here, it's better translated as your precious one. You can see the love he had for his son. This is in whom you loved. And then he repeats Isaac, just in case you didn't know who that was. It's Isaac. You see the intimacy here. It's his precious, beloved one. 
for nine chapters from Genesis 12 through Genesis 20, Abraham and, and, and Sarah had been waiting for Isaac, right? They'd been waiting for this son of promise for 25 long years. And God finally delivers on this promise whose tangible is right there in their arms. And now God is asking to have him back. Talk about a test. Talk about a trial, right? Can you imagine, of all the things that he asked Abraham, Abraham was a man of many possessions. He was a man of wealth, the Bible says. Take, take all that, God, but you're going to ask me of my son. You're going to ask of what's most precious to me, what's most closest to me, what's closest to my heart. And I would ask you that. What are you holding on to closest in life today? What's the, the thing you're valuing above all else that you hold closest to your heart today? Another way, what... What's number one in your life? In this walk, in this Christian life, it is easy to put a lot of things in number one in your life, right? It is easy to do that. But God wants to be number one in your life. He has to be number one in your life. And we see the answer to whether or not he was number one in Abraham's life later on here in this text. This testing revealed what Abraham held on to most, what he valued above all else. Faith, this life of faith requires that we have nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing above God. He must be first. So what are you holding on to most in your life? God was demanding that Abraham bring Isaac to him as his human sacrifice, and we see that this wasn't God's intention. That was, this wasn't God's plan. This was just a test that he brought to Abraham. Where Abraham was from, they had child sacrifice. This was something that happened. I mentioned at the top. This was something that was practiced regularly, this evil. So God asks him for the purpose of testing his faith here. Now, God won't ask us to offer up our children, amen? amen? To sacrifice our kids, right? He won't ask us to sacrifice our kids like this, amen? But he will ask us to sacrifice for him in this life, amen? Things that come to mind, our time, our energy, our effort. A few of those five hours of sports you watch every Sunday during football season. There's so many more things. I, I believe Pastor Matt talked about living a life of personal sacrifice a couple of weeks ago even. So many more things you can list there. But this life of walking with God is a life of sacrifice. And we see that Abraham had this faith. They sacrificed even what was the most precious thing to him in his life. He didn't hold that above even God. And the writer says in verse 3 of Genesis 22, So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Can you imagine what it must have been going through Abraham's mind as he was preparing for this journey? It said he rose early in the morning. Almost like he was eager to just obey God. Even in this this uncertainty, how this whole thing was going to work out. Like Abraham, we must go. Our faith 
must obey God's word, that when God says go, we must go. God's word is Abraham was go and take another journey. Go and sacrifice what's most precious to you. And Isaac wasn't just this regular child. He was a child of the promise. That God said, I will bless all the nations through. A vessel of God's blessing to the world. God had gave Abraham the one thing that he so desperately wanted in all of his life, this son. And God once says he wants him back now. How do you reconcile this? Like imagine, like how, how do you reconcile the fact that he was given the son a promise yet now he wants him back? What is God doing? What is he up to? This seems to contradict what God is doing here, his character and his word. Even thinking of like the life of Job, you see that God allows Satan to tempt Job and ruin his finances and his family and his friendships, his body, taking him to the edge. What is God up to? Even Jesus, after two days, after finding out Lazarus was, was on his deathbed, it took him two days before he went to go and see him. Why, God, why are you doing this? Right? We question that a lot, right? Why are you doing this, God? But the scripture, what does it say that Abraham does? Is he putting up a fight with God? Is he saying, why, God? Does it, is that what it says that he did here? No. No. He didn't disobey God. He had already done enough of this stuff in the past. He had already laughed at God. Sarah laughed, but so did Abraham, if you remember. He did as well. In Genesis 15, he accused God of not giving him this child of promise. He challenged God at one point to make uh, Eliezer the heir and not the son of a future promise. He tried to make things kind of happen on his own with Sarah's servant Hagar. How many of you remember that from Matt, when Matt brought the word? about Abraham and Sarah. Now he surrendered himself here in verse, in chapter 22 of Genesis. He was done trying to reason or trying to fight or push back with God with, with no objections, with no delays, no negotiating. Abraham obeys God. He takes him at his word and he rose early, it says. I pray that's said of us. I pray we have a faith that's like that. That we rise early, so to speak, to obey God in all that we do. Abraham hoped and believed not that God would remove this trial, but that he would resolve this trial. At this point, he, got, he had been following God for over three decades. He had learned enough about God that he knew he could resolve this. Just like things in our lives, sometimes we have no idea how it's going to happen, but we need to trust that God will bring resolution, amen? That he will resolve it, whatever it is. And maybe you're in your hardest trial of your life today. Maybe you're in something similar like this. Maybe you're facing something like Abraham. 
tonight. It seems uncertain. See, Abraham, you see Abraham's thinking that if Isaac dies, all these promises would fail unless God brings him back to life. In Hebrews 11, verse 18, this promise is repeated as a reminder for, for us, for the reader, that the promise was in Isaac, that in Isaac the descendants will be called. So we get this glimpse into Abraham's thinking, the following verse in verse 19, he considered that God was even able to raise people from the dead. Now up to this point, there had been no resurrection from the dead. He didn't have a precedent to, to go back on. He didn't have a story to hold on to. He was just thinking, well, God made this promise. He said it's in Isaac. It must be in Isaac. He's telling me to sacrifice Isaac. I don't know how all this works together. I don't know how it's going to happen. But God's going to make it happen. God's going to have to figure it out. Maybe God will raise him from the dead, he says in verse 19. And continuing in, in Genesis uh, 22, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You can see confidence, Abraham's confidence in God. Because look what he tells the young men there, the two servants. He says, we, me and Isaac, will go and worship, and we will return to you. He didn't forget what, Ab what God had asked him to do, but yet he's saying that we will return to you. The verb there is plural. It's not singular. It's not I will return to you. It's we, me and Isaac, will return to you. Abraham's obeying God even when he doesn't see this whole picture. He's obeying God in faith because he knew God was faithful to his promise. We will come back. He believed Isaac would be walking right back next to him when he came back. Because God said it was through Isaac this promise would be fulfilled. In verse 6 it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. Here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's asking about this elephant in the room, right? He's going off the checklist in his mind. He's like, all right, got the fire, got the wood, got the knife. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? We're missing something here. Because Isaac knew how to worship God. His dad, his father had modeled this to him. He knew something was missing. The sacrifice was missing. And in verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And in verse 9, it says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there. And laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham was confident. Why? Why was he confident? Verse 8 says, Abraham says to Isaac that God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Faith trusts that God will provide. It trusts that God will provide. Even in the bleakest 
of circumstances. You have no idea how this thing's going to work out. You must trust that God will provide. It literally uh, here says that God will see to it. Whatever you're facing today, God will see to it. He will provide. Abraham trusted that God would provide this sacrifice. And I love that at the very beginning of the sentence, it starts with God, his, his response here. Like he was so dependent on God. He knew that God was, was the one that, that could only do this, that it would have to be him that would make this way, that he would find a way, that God would see to it. Now, there's a lot of similarities in this story and, and in the story of Jesus going to the cross. We see a lot of similarities there. But we're going to continue here in Genesis 22.10. It says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We see Abraham was fully committed to doing this. He was fully committed to obeying God's word. Even though this was the hardest thing he ever had to do. And verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That even when our our faith is stretched all the way to the brink, even to the edge, God shows up. God provides. Verse 14 says, God, the Lord will provide. Do you believe that this evening? No matter what you're going through, we have to believe this. And that place going forward, what was, it, was it all about Abraham? Was the name of that place Abraham's awesome, amazing faith? No. The name of that place, it's known today as the Lord provided. The focus is on God. It's not Abraham. This book, this story all points to one person. We know this, right? It points to Jesus. He's always the focus. He's always the main point of all of this. It was God who provided. 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul uses this exact same word, uh, testing, as he does here in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 22. It says, no temptation, in verse 13 of chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is what? God is faithful. Amen. Amen. He is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability beyond what you're able to do, but with the temptation, with this test, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We're never tested beyond what we can handle. We're never tested beyond what we can do with God's help, amen? We're tested that 
so that we would be more faithful to recognize that God is the one that provides, that it is God is the one who is coming through, that it is God who will resolve that trial, that it is God who will resolve that test, that it is God who will show up. It's us being totally dependent on God, totally dependent on God and not in our own strength. These things that we go through here on earth, I pray that the, that the testings and these trials, that they would grow us, that they would mature us in our faith, that we would recognize that these momentary light afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory, amen? That our attention and our focus wouldn't be on the trial or on the test, but on God. And Abraham held on to the promises of God, even in this impossible situation. In Hebrews 11, in five times it mentions the promises of God. Five times, that's a lot. Knowing Abraham knew and he held on to these promises, knowing that God would be faithful. And in verse 19, he even expected a resurrection. In Romans uh, chapter 4, I'm coming to a close. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, um, Paul speaks about Abraham's faith. Uh, with respect to the promises of God. He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. He didn't waver in unbelief that his faith became progressively stronger through the trial. God had prepared him for 25 years for this, for this final test, and he passed. Why? Was it because of him? No. Verse 10 says he was in Hebrews 11. He was looking to the city which foundations and the builder and architect is God. He was looking for that better country that Matt spoke about in verse 16. From from his first conversation to his final conversation, he was looking toward heaven. That's what drove him. And that's what should drive us as believers as well, amen? Even when the details are uncertain, even when we don't know how this is all going to work out, we know that God is working. Abraham knew he was headed to heaven, and he trusted in God's promises, and this dominated his life. I pray that that speaks of of our church, of the saints here at Destiny Church, of every single one of us, even our young people, even our youth group. And there's a lot of similarities here between, uh, as I mentioned here, in this story of Abraham and and of Jesus. It says his only begotten son here in in the passage in Genesis. And in John 3.16, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. A better sacrifice, right? Hebrews uses the word better a lot. A better sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute for you and me. Amen? Like that ram was that substitute sacrifice. Jesus has stepped in place for you and me as our substitute. Do you believe in in Jesus tonight? Do you believe in that? That because of Christ and his finished work, we don't have to face the wrath of God. He poured that out on his son for us. But now we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been washed clean. We're headed to heaven. Come on. We're headed to heaven. Amen. The perfect 
substitute for you and me, Christ. We must embrace Christ. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, man, I, I encourage you, believe in God. Believe in God. If you're still stuck in this lifestyle of sin, of rebellion to God, being an enemy of God, the Bible says, turn from your sinful ways and look to Jesus. Repent and embrace Christ. Believe in him. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll be saved from this ultimate judgment and we get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for uh, this story, this passage tonight, God, in Genesis 22 and in Hebrews 11. God, there is so much we can get into in this passage. We could spend weeks on this, God. But I trust, God, that you were faithful, God, in speaking the word that you would have spoken tonight to your people, God. I thank you for every individual in this place. And young people are always at my heart, God. That's, that's what's most at my heart, God, the young people, the youth, God. I pray that the youth, God, would, uh, would grow up with a love for you, God. That even as they come to youth group on Wednesday night, God, yes, it, it's fun to be around one another and fellowship with one another. But God, we're there most importantly to meet with you. I pray that they would have a love for you, God. Holy Spirit, only you can, can cause that in the hearts of us. I pray that young people specifically, God, would have a fire and a passion for you, God, for your word, God, for the truth of the gospel, that they would hold it near and dear to their heart, God. That they would hold it above all else, God. That they would lay aside everything and put you number one in their life, God. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so gracious. Words can't even articulate, God, our love for you and our, and our gratitude for who you are, God. Thank you, God. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Yeah.